Love Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for October 11th, 2020. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. Yes, exciting show. A lot of topics in about 20 minutes. We're going to welcome back to the show a longtime friend of the show that hasn't been on in a while, the presiding judge of America's court. Judge Kevin Ross will be calling in um, to discuss some different uh, political topics with us because before he was on America's Court, he was doing um, podcasts on politics on Blog Talk Radio with um, several of us, if you will. Uh, so we're excited about that. But in the interim, we've got all to discuss. And um, last week, the, the big topic was, you know, uh, Donald Trump had contracted um, COVID-19 and he had taken a world around the um, grounds of uh, Walter Reed Hospital. He got released the next day, and he's been out. His um, schedule has obviously been reduced, but it's more than would be typical of someone that was still in the 14-day contagion period uh, for COVID-19. And, of course, that's, I guess, once the negative test happens. Um, Catherine, what do you make of What's gone on uh, since we last stood in council uh, with Donald Trump and his health? I, I just think it's outrageous that he's uh, the way he's been behaving, exposing all the people in the White House. Now we're learning more and more about, um, you know, what is it? I think we're up to around 40 people in his immediate uh, circle who are infected or who have tested positive, uh, including White House staff and housekeeping staff. And it's just uh, really an outrageous, outrageous behavior for someone who's supposed to be a leader. And it's very disappointing. It's not surprising, but it's still, uh, it's just a big disappointment to me that he would expose all those people and then also just the way he's been behaving seems to be uh, uh, even more outrageous than he was before. You know, a lot of people think it's because of uh, a reaction to some of the drugs that he's taking. Who knows what the reasons are, but it's all—it's all awfully uh, disturbing. Yes, um, the understanding is he's on a lot of uh, Regeneron, which I believe is a steroid, and, and it sounds pretty powerful, but it doesn't sound like it's widely available really to anybody that's not the leader of the free world at this point. Um, Tim, what's your take? Well, as far as the particular cocktail he's taking, I'm betting that since less than 300 people worldwide have even taken this particular assortment of drugs together that he might be one of, I don't know, 10 in the country. 
that's tried it. And uh, steroids will, uh, you know, they'll they'll hype you up. They'll they'll make you feel a lot better than you actually do. They'll suppress your immune system and they'll mask symptoms and that sort of thing. And you know, I I hope the man is okay, but. I think the fact that he is pressing to do something is just uh, an increasing sign of desperation on his part. He's about to undertake three campaign trips in three days. Think about all of the people that are going to be put at risk because he's doing this. All the workers, uh, the people attending the rallies. Uh, you know, security, the secret services going with him, um, and, you know, the, the the whole entourage that has to accompany him. And it, it's going to be literally thousands of people are going to be, you know, put at risk here. Not to mention he is really rolling the dice with his own health because by no means is he out of the woods, but here he goes tomorrow to Florida, then to Pennsylvania, and then to Iowa. That's a lot of traveling for somebody that, you know, 10 days ago learned that they had this virus, had to go to the hospital, had to get oxygen, uh, had to do a, a lot of stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I I hope he'll be okay, but I got to agree with Catherine. It's really outrageous. That that he would even do such a thing. So, yes, he spoke from the um, balcony of the White House. So he turned it once the White House once again into a campaign venue. This is uh, double. I, mean, I don't know how many times now he's done this. Um, and he spoke. And Tim, I think you mentioned it was seventeen minutes. And the traditional yeah. uh, Trump campaign speech is what close to two hours. It's over an hour. It's over an hour. Over an hour. The, his normal but he won't go two hours is over an hour long. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I, I couldn't believe what I see, and I sat there and watched the whole thing, and it was over before it got started. Good. And yeah. and he he clearly was not up to standing out there too long. They, he just wasn't. You could tell it by looking at him. And like I said, you know, I don't, I don't know how he's going to stand up to the rigors of, of, of what he's about to do. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. Well, let's kind of let's go ahead and talk about the health of his vice president before we segue into the next thing. Um, after the the debate, we'll get to the debate in a minute. Um, he had to cancel a trip to Arizona, a trip to somewhere else, and a trip to go vote in his home state of Indiana. But then apparently a trip. A campaign trip to the villages of all places, the one of the largest senior communities in the um, world, I guess, that happens to be located in Florida. He is going to go to that trip, and there's been no like reports if he's positive, if he's negative of COVID nineteen. Um, where do you think we stand with Mike Pence's health, Catherine? Well, I think that's a good question. It's it's hard to it was hard to sort of understand. If um, he was called back to Washington for fear that the president was in, um, you know, the president's health was in balance and they wanted him nearby, that was one theory. Or if it was his health, because we did see some uh, sort of, uh, you know, uh, unusual things in the debate, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, So it's hard to say. 
but it struck me as strange that he canceled all those things, including going to Indiana to vote, which seems like that could have been a pretty simple task. I mean, he was coming back anyway, so why not just stop and vote with his wife? And But then to end up going, deciding to go to the villages just seems like a little a strange selection of um, places to go. So it's, 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 uh, it's a, a reasonable question to ask what's his health situation and are we, shouldn't we, under, shouldn't we know? If there is some problem, they should tell us, I think. Yes. Tim, that's kind of a problem in two ways, going to the villages. One, that's where a lot of seniors live, and they're probably taking the virus by and large. I mean, we certainly know there are exceptions when you talk about, you know, thousands of people there. They're taking it seriously. But then, two, if you're having to lock down the villages, Sumter County, Florida, which Donald Trump won by such massive margins, and we have seen more support for Biden than we did for Clinton in 2016, uh, that's kind of a problem in another way, isn't it, too, Tim? Well, it just shows you where we are politically. Uh, first of all, the, they didn't pass the smell test on the reasons that they gave for canceling the trip to Indiana. Well, we didn't want to get the vice president burned out. Burned out? Man, you're three weeks from an election. You can rest after it's over. Nobody worries about burnout three weeks from an election when you are running from behind. And it's not like the vice president has a a, a full list of, of, of duties waiting him in Washington either. And secondly, you know, I, I sent you that uh, that text on the numbers from 2016 in the villages. Trump wanted 68 to 29. Uh, you know, he shouldn't be going there. But, I mean, he shouldn't have to go there. He shouldn't waste a day getting on Air Force Two and going down there. He'd have been better off going to Indiana and voting. It would have been a much nicer photo op complete with the advantages of voting in person for the base. Uh, he'd got more done there than going to the villages in Florida because, like the pundits are saying, if, if Trump doesn't win the villages on election night, two to one, look out Florida. He's he's just in massive trouble. He should. These guys are going to places that they won pretty convincingly. Trump is doing that himself. All three of the places he's going Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, he won those areas. And, you know, they're, I guess they're trying to stop the bleeding before they mount a last-minute attack. But uh, I don't know how you do it on the map now. And uh, <laughs> it just makes you scratch your head. Yeah, the, the the politically the best of those visits you mentioned was um, Iowa because maybe he gets a few points and and helps Ernst. Um, the other races aren't even um, Senate wide races, uh, statewide, and those other states. Trump, well, kind Trump of wouldn't that. be going there. Hey, Trump wouldn't be going to Iowa to try to save her. He's going there to try to save himself. Now, a side effect yeah. of it is he yeah. might help her. But, you know, let's be clear that he's, that's not the reason Trump's doing anything right now. He's trying to yeah. save himself. 
Oh, I know who he looks out for. I mean, but some of the people, <laughs> the D, uh, the, D, uh, the NRC may or NSRC, whichever alphabet soup it is, that uh, works for Senate Republicans, they may be trying to uh, push that agenda. Um, well, let's move on to that debate. And, and you know, like I told y'all in the text, it was like PBS versus WWF. Um, it was definitely a more subdued affair, um, but it wasn't a real, um, you know, decisive set of answers necessarily at the same time, even though it was more polite. Uh, what was your take, Catherine? Uh, well, I, you're right. It was uh, a little bit dull in comparison to the previous debate, but, um, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Kamala Harris, so it was uh it was fun for me to watch her. I thought she was for the most part very um concise and um likable. She didn't answer some questions very well, I thought, especially at the beginning. Um but once she got her stride I thought she did very well. Uh Pence was uh you know he, he he really needed to win it. He really needed to, you know, win back, uh, especially women. And he did not do well with that, the way he kept interrupting both of the women on stage. And uh, I, I mean, I don't like him, so it's easy for me to criticize him. But I thought he was, uh, did not do well and did not, he was even less, uh, likely to answer the questions than Kamala was. So uh, I thought Kamala Harris won it, not handily, but I thought she won it for the night. Um, but what, what about you, Tim? What did you think? Well, even even though it wasn't live Atlanta wrestling, I, I used to. By, by the way, my favorite was always Harry Thornton on Channel Twelve, David, because you could always depend on a chair going across somebody's head during the <laughs> telecast. That that was a gimme. But even though there were no chairs over somebody's head, and and calm prevailed, you know, it, it, it was a, a bit dull, but there was still interest in this thing. It had fifty-eight million viewers. Now that's number two all time to the um, Palin Biden. Uh, vice presidential debate and uh, with two presidential candidates in their mid and late 70s people were interested I think to see if these two were ready to be president so I think that was the number one reason perhaps that people tuned in and I think both pe- most people uh, came to the conclusion that both of these candidates are, which bodes well for Harris down the road and for Pence perhaps as early as 2024. And the number two reason was to see, I think, if Pence uh, would drop the temperature of things after the lunacy of Trump. And I knew he would do that because Pence is kind of a cold temperature kind of guy. That was about as exciting as Mike Pence gets the other night. And number three, and this, I think, went off very well for Kamala Harris. It it was her introduction to the country for a lot of the country that had not seen her on a national stage. And so it went off very well. Both candidates did what they needed to do. 
Harris was perceived by the winner because of one thing you mentioned, David. She was more personal with the viewers. And number two, Pence, this overtime and interruption stuff, I think by a three-to-one margin, he he got more overtime time in than she did. Uh, Pence's problem issue was the virus. He just couldn't get by that. And and some of our, our folks, you know, guys, thought that Harris was a bit subdued. Uh, but I think that was purposeful, and at least this was a little more like a debate than whatever that thing was that Trump, you know, pulled. So what do you think, David? <laughs> well, Catherine, back to what you said, I, I love it that the plan had to be Mike Pence had to win over women. Uh, that might be the first time in his history <laughs> in which he's ever had to win over any, uh, any woman he doesn't call mother. Um, you know, but uh, so that was kind of a, a bad deal for them. What, Catherine? Don't you think that's true? I, I think that they're hurting with women. I just don't know that Mike Pence is the answer. Getting killed, but that's that's Trump's yeah. fault, and Pence can't stop yeah. it. I don't think. And, and yes, and, and so that, that's a whole other issue. It's just funny that Mike Pence is your solution. Well, um, no, and right. I'll say this. One thing about Mike Pence is he doesn't come off that rude, but when he did come off his rude, he came off his rude to Susan Page much more than Kamala Harris, um, which was interesting. Um, he cut off you know, Susan Page left and right. He really didn't do that to Kamala Harris. And then a surprising stat they showed at the very end of the debate, they said that I think Mike Pence spoke for like 30 more seconds then Kamala Harris, I bet in the midpoint of that debate, he had spoken a probably two or three more minutes uh, than Kamala Harris. At but least, I bet she yeah. ended up speaking more in the second half because I think he – maybe it was kind of like at whatever point that Donald Trump somewhere finally knew, like, I'm – this is just ridiculous, or he just wore out, um, you know, and stopped doing that. Maybe Mike Pence kind of figured out, well, I'm doing too much of this, and i got to stop. Because I think when they got to the environment, uh, Kamala Harris was able to give much more full, developed answers um, than some other questions. Well, let's go ahead and segue over to our guest, and I want to welcome back the presiding judge of America's Court, Judge Kevin Ross. Welcome, Kevin. Good afternoon, good evening. It's so good to be back with you, Mr. David. It's been a while. It has. Um, and let's kind of start off there. Um, I think the last time you were on, your show was uh, just getting going. It's been on for 11 seasons, about 10 years now. Just tell us how the show's going. Well, before I even get into that, I'm just glad to be with you because when I started back on Blog Talk Radio sometime around 2000. And seven, I started doing my own show, and I was working with different individuals doing shows. I don't even remember how our paths crossed, but inevitably, oh, I knew, you know what it was? We did the battle of the uh, the political mm-hmm. perspectives, and, uh, and you and I, you and I both uh, handled that and uh, and did well. And I think we started talking and saying, hey, why don't we have this show together that gives our different perspectives? You know, me being African-American and being registered as a Republican, you being a white male from Georgia, me being in California, you being a Democrat. And uh, and we had quite a good run there. And ultimately what ended up happening was I stayed in the social media space specifically regarding uh, 
you know, podcasts and, and content that, that happens on Blog Talk Radio. And I was actually trying to get a deal done with Blog Talk Radio and uh, uh, another media entity that fell through, and that ultimately ended up causing me to meet Byron Allen, the president, founder, and CEO of Entertainment Studios. So I'm sitting there talking to him about Blog Talk Radio and maybe having content on, and he is completely ignoring, David, everything I had to say. And instead, he was like, you know, I found out, I understand that you're you're a former judge, and you obviously have an interest in media. I care less about what you're talking about right now. Now, I'm going to put a pin in that because we're going to get back to it. But at the time, he said, "I'm, I'm not necessarily interested in that. But what I am interested in is you and you being on a new daytime television show that I think you'd be perfect for. And, David, literally three weeks later, we were shooting the pilot, and that was in 2009. About a month later, he said, it looks good. It's a go. I'm, I'm the one that can give the green light, and you're going to be on the air. And September 2010, that's when my show launched. And uh, this last month in September, we kicked off season 11, and it's just been an incredible ride ever since. Yes, sir. Well, um, I'm just glad the show's so successful. I, I catch it every so often. Um, this being national and you being national, it doesn't need to do any good to say when's it on because it's probably on at different times and different markets. But what's a way somebody could just look up the schedule for whatever city they're listening in? Oh, you can check your local listings. I mean, ultimately, um, if you're someone that that gets regular broadcast television, I know you're still based in Atlanta, right? Yes, so in Atlanta, we're on the CW station there, and it comes on a, it comes on at ten o'clock. In New York, we're on a, a CBS affiliate. It comes on in New York at two o'clock. In LA, it comes on at ten. But then we've got other places like in Philadelphia. Um, it comes on later in the afternoon. It comes on at nine, and then it comes back on again at four thirty. So if you're someone that typically uh, likes or has time to watch television during the day. I'm usually in some sort of court block, so you'll see other shows like uh, Judge Judy and People's Court and et cetera. So it's very easy for me to find. And the other thing that's exciting is that um, we are also on a cable network called Justice Central TV. And most platforms carry Justice Central. And so some of the other shows that are part of the company that I'm with, including – uh, Judge Maybelline, Christina Perez, Judge Karen Mills Francis, uh, Judge Glenda Hatchett, who's also based in Atlanta with you, David. You can see all our shows back to back to back on just a central cable outlet. So, so yeah, we're everywhere. We're and we're, and we're global. We're not just here in the United States. We're in the UK. We're in uh, different countries in Africa. Um, and we're in France. I, I mean, it, the Caribbean. You name it. So uh, it's it's been great. Well. Kevin, I'm glad you mentioned France because uh, our second most uh, listeners actually now come from France, not Canada, strangely enough. Like, you know, 4% of our listeners come from France. I have no idea. I've never been to France in my life, but uh, I guess they just like, you know, whatever Catherine or Tim have to say. I I probably heard us with the French. I don't know. Well, um, let's get into some politics, and I'm going to kind of push this along to Catherine and come back later. Uh, Catherine, questions for Judge Ross. 
Thanks for being on, and congratulations on your success. That's great. Catherine, um, thank you so much. What, what you got coming at me? Well, you know, we're all thinking about the Supreme Court these days. Um, mm-hmm. What is your What is your view on uh, a couple things? Uh, should the Senate entertain uh, the nomination of Amy Coney, Coney Barrett? Yes. That's my first question. question. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, you, yes. I think they should. Now, should I tell you why, okay. Catherine? Yeah. Here's my take is this. Um, you, you know, I, I'm a Morehouse uh, graduate, so I have a little, uh, quite an affinity for Atlanta. And then after I went to Morehouse, I, I did pursue law school. Obviously, you had to have gone to law school to, to do a TV show called America's Court with Judge Ross. But I followed <laughs> this stuff. I was a political science major, and I probably watch more cable news than I should, especially in these times because it gets a little heady. But having said that, I believe that the process should continue to go the way it's intended. Now, it's not so much that um, that Trump doesn't have the right and should not proceed with this nomination of uh, Amy Coney Barrett. The real, The bigger issue is that how Mitch McConnell, uh, before Trump was even president, uh, just really, he he did Obama dirty. And when I say that, you know, the whole nomination of Merrick Garland was the thing that just was ridiculous, given what we see right now, because the reality is Trump still would have inevitably, if Amy Barrett goes through, Judge Barrett, uh, would have gotten two Supreme Court picks, as opposed to the third one, um, that because Mayor Garland wasn't able to go forward, uh, Obama missed that opportunity. But when you look at just overall, Catherine, the appointments of the various judges, you know, Trump has had a number. You know, as much as we're having all this conversation about the Supreme Court, when you look at it and see just how many people he's appointed, uh, I want to say on the federal bench, he's appointed 194 judges. You know, in Obama's um, eight years, I, I want to say he appointed a little over 200. So it's it's not that he doesn't have the right to do the thing that his job description dictates he should be able to do. It really is just the 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 hypocrisy that we've seen with the Senate in terms of uh, a Lindsey Graham, a, a Mitch McConnell saying one thing when Obama was president and saying something different with Trump. And I think that's going to end up biting them in the butt, but it, it shouldn't prevent Trump from being able to get this nomination and have uh, Justice, potentially Justice Barrett, end up being on the next Supreme Court for the new term. So, so basically you're saying two wrongs don't make a right. No, well, no, I'm saying that they. Well, but, I mean, really, I mean, you're saying here, here's, they shouldn't me, have done let, that. Let me put it like because this: they did that. We should. I'm a firm believer that. in karma. I am a big, big, big believer in karma, and I believe whatever you put out comes back full circle. Because just like I said, that they have the right to have Amy Barrett nominated and ultimately put on the Supreme Court. If the Democrats end up getting control of the Senate. 
and they get the White House, and they decide rule change, now the Supreme Court has 11 members. Now the Supreme Court has a certain number of years before you term out. Would they be entitled to do that? Absolutely. Because well, that, that was going to be my next question. Yeah, because if they can About, change, if, if the rules can be changed, then everybody's playing, you know, from the same rule book. And that's the problem that Republicans are having right now because they're okay with the hypocrisy of not appointing uh, uh, Mayor Garland, but they are outraged at the even contemplation of court packing, uh, changes in the rules. But if you are going to play, that's the reality. And, and I know that Biden and Kamala Harris have been very coy about whether or not they would do all of that. But the reality is we all know by them not answering the question, they've answered it. And the answer is, if we control things, <laughs> it's going to be a new sheriff in town. Yeah, and I, I, I agree. I think that by not answering it, they're basically saying that those are those things are all under consideration. It doesn't mean they're absolutely going to do it. They're, they're absolutely going to do it, because why why would you not? Right. What's the, down, what's the downside? If you have the presidency and you have the Senate and you have the House of Reps and there's nothing uh, constitutionally that, that dictates what the number of the Supreme Court justices are, why wouldn't you? I mean, why would you just allow yourself to be subjected to a potential 6-3 conservatives to uh, liberals and moderates uh, on decisions such as the Affordable Care Act and 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 abortion and the environment. I, I mean, what's the point of being in power if you can't do something uh, to affect your position with, you know, nothing that the Republicans could pretty much do about it unless they try to do some things on the state level. And, and even in the states, places like Georgia and Carolinas and Arizona, if, the, if these places start flipping and becoming Democrat, we got a whole new set of circumstances as we go forward in uh, 2021 and beyond. But does it worry you that it's so the Democrats are in power and they add two seats and then when Republicans, if the Republicans regain power at some point in the future, they add two more seats and then pretty soon we've got 17 uh, justices. <laughs> Is that a problem? Well, I will say this. I think we we are in the midst, Catherine, of a serious, a seismic uh, shift in demographics. When you look at, for instance, Trump's appointees to the federal bench, 87% of his appointees were white. 87%. Of course. Mm. Well, typically... When you're looking to appoint on the federal bench, um, usually you have to get the feedback from that the state that that particular um, individual is from. Not necessarily on the district court, because all Article Three judges don't necessarily comply with that. Obviously, when it comes to the Supreme Court, the, the, the senators of that particular state sort of dictate who should be. Um, who should be, you know, advanced. But let's just take Georgia, for instance. Right now we know that there's these two seats up 
Um, Georgia is in a very important southern state as it relates to federal issues. If the Democrat, if Raphael Warnick wins that seat against Loeffler and then the other Democratic uh, candidate beats uh, the Republicans, now you've got both of the senators from Georgia being Democrats. You're not going to get a nominee out of Georgia without those potential Democratic senators giving their okay. See, none of this becomes an issue if Trump wins. Because if Trump wins, we just keep going down this uh, this hellhole and this spiral. And I'm a Republican saying that. But, it, but this is an absolute nightmare. And I think even Republicans who have certain beliefs in terms of party as opposed to persona, uh, the consensus that I'm hearing is that Trump has worn us out. And he has <laughs> to go. <laughs> Forthwith, <laughs> expeditiously, <laughs> post haste. And and I think ultimately what's going to end up happening is um you look you look at his numbers, I mean his 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 national numbers are deplorable. His local numbers in those swing states uh, are are leaning every day towards Biden. We're all voting right now. I just got my ballot in California by mail. I was getting I was getting a little bit of an attitude because I was like, "Where the hell is my ballot? And why are we waiting till the last minute?" And then I went to my post office box a couple of days later, and it was there. And my first thought was, "Oh, come to Daddy, because we're getting ready to make this happen." You know, I mean, I've never been more excited to see an absentee ballot in my life. You know, and I think a lot of people are feeling that way, and unfortunately for Trump. Having having COVID, um, you know, even even as recent as today or yesterday, putting out an ad that Dr. Fauci is is praising him and seemingly endorsing him, and Fauci coming out and saying, "In all the years I've been doing this, I've never endorsed a candidate. Why are you taking my words out of context?" And 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 we're seeing this in real time, and we're making decisions at our kitchen tables in terms of what are we going to check. And when are we going to mail this in? And everything Trump keeps doing, potentially even this super spreader event with Barrett when she starts the process tomorrow, isn't, I don't think, is holding sway with voters, particularly women. I agree with you. And now I have to Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. Well, David, good evening, you have Judge. Yeah, no it so is, just it jump is in whenever you need to. Talk to you again, brother. It has been a while. Um, <laughs> is there any way for Donald Trump to reset this way, providing the, the, the polls are to be believed and for him to somehow change the trajectory of this race, or is it too late? I don't ever count any circumstance out because life is just that. It's so unpredictable. I love the Mm -hmm. saying that God God laughs while we're making our plans because because we just assume that we are in control of things. And that's why Mm -hmm. I go back to what I was saying about this whole notion of karma Um, because even when when Trump first came on the scene – Again, as a registered Republican, I was like, Mm-mm, no. I wasn't really necessarily excited about most of the candidates, but I just was like, Mm-mm, not for president. That's, that's, that's a bridge too far for me. But he has been here, and he's had this time. And 
there have you know financially it's been great for me financially, but in terms of my peace of mind and in terms of the denial of of uh global warming um the lack of sensitivity of as far as racial issues that keep presenting themselves without uh Trump even acknowledging that he plays a role in in making this world better and seemingly more equitable um the, the how this covid situation the pandemic has been handled i mean it's just been a situation where what we're about 3 weeks out a little over 3 weeks out from the election and i would imagine in the next few days i think they were saying that about 6 million ballots have been cast it wouldn't surprise me if that number went up to 10 in the next few days because literally people my friends on facebook they're not just posting about their son or daughter graduating from school or marriage or or a new baby being born. You know, the sort of typical things people post about, I got a new job. People are taking selfies of them filling out their ballots. People mm-hmm. are putting, posting video of them actually mailing, you know, go, walking their ballot in. I mean, it has become, um, you know, the latest sensation uh, if you want to talk about things that are go that go viral, the whole idea of that you're voting is a viral uh, uh, event worth sharing and discussing and people high-fiving, and uh, I've never seen that before in an election, even as it relates to Obama. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, a lot of us think we know what we're going to see on November the 3rd. But the great unknown that seems to strike a little fear in a lot of hearts is what might then happen between November the 4th and, you know, say early December when the Electoral College convenes. Are you concerned at all uh, about what might transpire, or do you think that's just idle talk? I, I think when the, the word I am concerned, I'm not necessarily concerned about the, as they say, uh, you know, you've got high cotton and you've got low cotton. Or, and, uh-huh. and, and, and I'm a more in the high cotton area. I'm like, what's going to happen on the electoral level? Because I don't think we're going to know the results on November 3rd. I mean, you pretty much mm-hmm. go into November 3rd saying, California is absolutely not voting for Trump. So you know mm-hmm. that Biden's getting those electoral votes. Uh, you can pretty much say with certainty that Mississippi is going for Trump or Alabama mm-hmm. is going. I mean, so we already know that there are certain states that as soon as all the polls close from the East Coast to the West, they're going to start saying, here are the numbers, here are the tallies, here's where we are in terms of of how close to the 270 golden number. Um, so when I look at states like Florida, which is all, seemingly always in the mix when it mm-hmm. comes to presidential elections, uh, you know, if that's going to take some time. I know that Pennsylvania is a, could be a tipping point state, so that may take some time. So I'm not necessarily convinced by November 3rd, 4th, or 5th we would necessarily have the winner. Having said that, um, I am looking at even Trump's behavior. I think I just read something recently that said he's already announced that if he loses, he is not, not going to Biden's inauguration. 
So that's telling me if you're already having that conversation as a candidate, as someone who ran for judge, even if I were feeling that way, I wouldn't be putting that, I wouldn't be wearing that on my sleeve because I don't want to send any other signal other than I am confident we're going to win. And if anything, I hope that Vice President Biden is present for my inauguration. But So for mm-hmm. him to be saying, I'm not going, and for all these articles coming up showing that Republicans are terrified, and then all the Republicans, the Colin Powells, the Cindy McCain's, the, the, the people that served in the armed forces, the former, um, whether it's Bush or Reagan, uh, uh, people who served as loyal Republicans, I've never seen this many people cross sides who had the stature and the respect of their fellow party affiliates support the other can the other side's team. Mm-hmm. It's unprecedented. And so I'm just I'm looking at this going, um, I think Ted Cruz was right when he said we're gonna see this blue tsunami uh like we saw post Watergate. That mm-hmm. seems to be where this is going. I know that there's that one Senate race in is it North Carolina where the guy, the Democratic Senate candidate, right. was known to be having an affair? And right. I think that even realistically, even with that, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me that the, the people voted him in anyway because they were like, we're just tired of this Republican uh, administration because everyone seems to be in lockstep with Trump. And I think it's going to represent a repudiation for the party being reduced to a personality as opposed to the ideals and the tenets that they have stood for up, you know, for all these years. Um, One more question, um, and then I'm going to throw it back to David, but I want to ask you about your region of the country, and that's that's the American Southwest and the state that is fascinating us right now is Arizona and the speed with which things seem to be changing there. What is happening in what has historically been one of the reddest of red states in the country? Well, I got to tell you, I knew nothing about Arizona. So had you asked me this question, uh, let's say before August of 19, my answer would have been, I got nothing. (laughs) What happened in August of 2019? Well, my youngest son started his collegiate journey at Arizona State University. Oh, wow. So he is now in that Phoenix area in the city Tempe, which is right outside of Phoenix. So I have Mm -hmm. now found myself being very in tuned to things that are going on in Arizona. I've spent time there. Um, I love the state. Uh, I, I, I love Scottsdale. That's where we typically stay when we go to see him, which is also a little area of Phoenix. Um, and, you know, I, I've gone to Sedona. You know, we've done the Grand Canyon. But more importantly, because that was a decision that he made in terms of Arizona State, well, Arizona State is number one in innovation. And why do mm-hmm. I say that? Um, because the state has decided 
that they want to be more competitive and draw more residents from California to ideally plant their roots in Arizona. To the tune of the state has decided that they're going to invest half a billion dollars in education. So there's a campus in that Phoenix area called uh, Grand Canyon University. It was a private Mm -hmm. Christian college. Well, that's the other school that he was considering, my son. So we Mm -hmm. we went over there, and that particular school, they're getting ready to triple the size of that school and completely reimagine the whole area because they want to have younger people coming to the state. They want more tech-savvy people coming to the state. They want more college-educated people coming to the state. And when you look at those individuals, young, college-educated, diverse, that is not what the Republican brand is peddling right now. So it doesn't surprise me because, you know, when you look at the, the condos and the, and the hip, hot, happening places that are thriving now in Phoenix, and you see, the, you see the diversity. You see Asians. You see blacks. You see Latinos. And the Republican Party typically has been older, white, conservative, non-college educated. So it, it's not so just based on what I'm saying, because I even said to my son, you know, Phoenix is not, actually not a bad spot. And I said, would you consider living here? And he said, you know, depending on what the opportunity is. So they're collectively making a very aggressive effort underway to, 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 to convince people from California to move to Arizona. Well, we already know that California is a democratic state. So the very mm-hmm. people that Arizona is trying to attract, they don't share the sensibilities of the average Republican. They're more, uh, they're more in step with the Republican philosophy. So that's why mm-hmm. I think it's turning, and I think in the next election cycle, you're going to see it turn completely. Wow. Does that make was sense? That, I just, I, I, yes, sir. That, that was an excellent assessment. Thank you for it. With that, David's going to wind it up with some questions about your home state. Go ahead, David. Yes, David. Yeah, Kevin, I saw that actual um, uh, ranking of Arizona State, uh, number two, MIT, and number three, my own Georgia State University, which I hold multiple degrees from. So, um, David, about, about Georgia, the very thing that I just <laughs> said about Georgia is the very thing that's – I mean, the very thing that I said about Arizona, you can apply that same – thought process with Georgia. For me, that's why we're now seeing that, uh, you know, Stacey Abrams potentially could come back and run for governor again and and seal the deal. Uh, Raphael Warnick, who's a fellow Morehouse man like me, um, is is very well positioned to to take that uh, seat in January 21 and hold on to it for until 22. And if he does, I think that position is going to be his. And once the South goes, oh, it's a wrap in terms of Republicans because the stronghold has, has been the South for decades. Yes. Well, I'm, i got good news for you. I know you're trying to watch that Lakers game that's coming no, on. No, I am. Okay. 
You know I have, and it's already been on for 15 minutes. So well, let me wrap you up with one question. I'm going to put it all together. Um, if if uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris go to the White House, you're going to have one open seat. You have Diane Feinstein, your senior senator there in California, that I believe will turn 90 uh, before her term's up. I don't have her Wikipedia page pulled up, but she's getting to probably the end of her career. There's a chance of both Senate seats open in the next few years at a minimum. Who's next in California? Well, I will say this. I was actually very supportive of uh, Karen Bass. I know her personally. We've had a very strong relationship. And there was certainly a feeling with me once the die was cast in terms of Biden being the, the Democratic nominee that it's always great to have a person from your state be on the ticket. I had actually, again, as a registered Republican, made a conscientious decision that I was with Team Kamala. And I was even, had even gone to some training for her in terms of being a part of her team. And then ultimately she made the decision to withdraw. But I still kept feeling, I said, I think she'd be a really good running mate. But for whatever reason, there was this flirtation with Karen Bass. And, and by the way, right now, Diane Feinstein is 87. So with her being 87 years old, there was already going to be a conversation about who's going to be positioned to take her seat. But as it relates to Kamala, assuming that she wins, one of the things that I, because I was supportive of her, but you always got to have a backup. And I was like, well, if it's not Kamala, I'm okay with it being uh, Karen Bass. Well, ultimately, when Karen Bass wasn't selected, I still maintain contact with her. And she's being offered potentially a few options. One is being able to put get in that seat that Kamala had. They, the two of them have a great relationship. And certainly uh, Barbara Lee, another congresswoman up in the Bay Area, her and Kamala's relationship is strong. So if Kamala has any sort of input, and you would imagine she would have to, because she would also be the tiebreaker in the event that the Senate was a 50-50, um, they would want – they being Gavin Newsom and the Democratic Party in California who want to appease her. Uh, so I know that Barbara Lee from Oakland is being considered. I know that in addition to being a potential uh, senator from California, uh, Pelosi's getting up there in age, and there has been some mumblings that a Karen Bass could be the next Speaker of the House. Um, or there and or there are opportunities to either serve in, 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 in an ambassador role or on the cabinet of a Biden administration, because my sense was Karen Bass being 66, she was looking to sort of wind down on her political um, uh, career and, and looking for some other opportunities. So you've got those two. Now, here's the thing that's been the most fascinating. There is a lot of conversation about there, be, there should be a Latino who serves in that, in that spot. So you've got this sort of back and forth between blacks and Latinos, and some of the names that have come up are Xavier Becerra, who was a congressman that's now the attorney general of California, and you've got uh, Alex Padilla, who is the current Secretary of State. And the thing that's interesting about either of them, if Gavin goes with one, not only does he now get to pick the person 
that will remain in office for two years, but then he also would be able to pick their the 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 person that would have to fill their opening. So I don't know how well that would go over with black constituents because there's only been two African American women in the U.S. Senate. One was Carol Mosley Braun out of Illinois, and now Kamala. Um, so there is a strong um, incentive to pick another African-American woman. But there's no denying the fact that California has a huge Latino population that politically is underserved, and that could bode well for either Becerra or Padilla. Yes, very interesting analysis. And if that does come to fruition, we may have to call on you again to give it a deeper analysis once that all gets set in motion. Well, uh, hey, Judge Robert, yeah, thank you again for coming on the show, and we'll let you get to that, um, I guess, maybe closeout game of the NBA Finals. Hey, I just put it this way. I've got my purple. If you see, saw me right now, you see me with my purple baseball hat and my Laker, official NBA Laker T-shirt. And, uh, you know, we're about 20 minutes in. If it were anybody else, I would have said, nah, I can't miss a minute of this. But because it was you, David McLaughlin, (laughs) I respect you. I I appreciate just, if nothing else, you have been consistent with uh, doing this show and hopefully your fans appreciate and and know the effort and work that goes into – to doing this and you've been doing this now over 10 years so so bravo to you my friend yes we have well thanks again for coming on the show tonight my pleasure thank you, you so all much. take care and, thank you, and go lakers <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. see you later Judge Kevin Ross, uh, his show's everywhere, um, and all kind of judicial block shows and what have you. Uh, great to have him on. We used to do a midweek show. I guess it was like on Wednesday nights called Game On, and uh, Kevin and I had a great time with that. And uh, good to hear his voice. Well, an analysis. Well, let's kind of change topics here. And, Catherine, you're going to have to tell us because this is your state. Um, what in the world was going on? with Gretchen Whitmer, and not really her, but these people in her state that wanted to um, kidnap her. What an insane story. (laughs) And, you know, a lot of my, a lot of my, you know, I'm from a very liberal, you know, uh, some people call it the communist state of Ann Arbor. Um, And people (laughs) were like, I can't believe this is happening in Michigan. Well, we have a long tradition of some, you know, crazy wacko people. The John Birch Society was founded in Michigan. Um, you know, we've had our, uh, our, you know, homegrown terrorists uh, there for a long time. Uh, we've had KKK. We've had it all. Um, so. And they were they were from a you know area sort of in the middle of the state, which is sort of a um, hotbed for some of this kind of activity. So I mean it it was just shocking, and the response from our president was even more shocking, honestly, uh, to criticize the governor of Michigan to not even call and ask her how she's doing, how her family's doing, and to uh, 
you know, I don't know if he complimented these terrorists, but he certainly didn't condemn them. They were, you know, frustrated. They wanted to arrest her. So uh, it is a shocking story, and I hope that they're, you know, brought to – I hope they're indicted and um, they come to some kind of um, justice. But we'll see. Yeah, Tim, I take it that Donald Trump would not say there's both people, fine people on both sides because he wouldn't be so kind to the governor of Michigan. He would just praise the the would-be kidnappers. Well, uh, being that you said that, I have a quote here from uh, President Trump back in April where you you might recall when that bunch took their long guns and charged in the state capitol up there. <laughs> and uh, the president said, hey, these protesters, that's what he called them, are very good people. But they're angry, and the governor ought to open up this state. That's when he made that famous tweet, Liberate Michigan, that probably set in motion uh, some of this very stuff that's going on right now. So when Governor Whitmer uh, gave it to the president the other night, uh, you you know what? He deserved every bit of it because uh, a lot of this is his fault for for fostering this kind of uh, of stuff, it's like he it's like it's dog whistle politics, man. Like he's exactly. giving a wink and a nod to these people, and, and uh, let's face it, these people let's call them what they are. They're not a militia; they're they're domestic terrorists. Now that that's, that's what right. they are. That's what they've been arrested for. That's what they were about to 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 do is perform a, a just outright act of terrorism. Uh, against this country and against one of our senior elected officials and against uh, police. police, You know, they won't overthrow the government. That's their thing. And they think Donald Trump, by saying this stuff he's saying, is on their side. So so there's the president's own words. What do you think, David? Yeah, it's really – these people are plotting, and they're not – you know, they don't really get politics in any way. Um, to me, this probably makes it to where, A, you know, Michigan was already fading away from Donald Trump. This is not going to help in any way, shape, or form. Probably makes it tougher because there's some people that might have said, oh, well, why didn't she open the lawn and garden center? I really wish she would have. But then they're like, well, you don't kidnap her. That's just nuts. And you repel all of those people back from the she should open more up calls because they think, well, this is obviously like 10 bridges too far, um, what they did there. So, so you hurt in the short term. I would think even if, you know, 2022 becomes a more Republican-leaning uh, year because it would be that first term of a Democratic presidency, you may have made her more popular and helped her reelection chances because um, while she didn't want this, uh, I mean – you made her a little bit of a martyr against her own will. Um, and so you helped her. So you really um, screwed up with this completely harebrained scheme. Um, I can't imagine in any way this would have ever worked out. This sounds like a comedy movie plot gone wrong. 
Um, but now they're the taxpayers of Michigan are going to have to spend a lot more money, and maybe even some other states are going to start having to beef up their security for their governors and everything else, and that's just going to cost more money that the taxpayers could use in other ways because people are going to behave like this in a wholly uncivilized and criminal manner. Um, sad as it may be, um, and I'll, we keep talking about it here and there, but not on the show, uh, they have a Senate race, which is some ways considered the second best take-back uh, opportunity for Republicans, and there's really only one good one, unfortunately, in Alabama. Um, but Gary Peters is somehow not connect with voters. This doesn't really help John James, does it either, Catherine? No, it doesn't. Not at all. No, no not if yeah. he's, uh, you know, affiliated with um, Trump and this re- response to this uh, terrorist behavior. No, it doesn't help him at all, I don't think. Yeah. And I wouldn't think he would be affiliated. I mean, because, you know, he's, he's uh, from the army, he's African-American, but he's a Republican, and people are going to go, this looks like a Republican plot, so he gets tied into it. Tim? Yeah, well, I was going to say, doesn't this, uh, you know, I was telling you earlier today that Peters is running about a five-point spread in real clear politics, aggregate polling. Doesn't this sort of thing make that five-point spread firm? Yeah, yeah I, people are saying that, you know, what Joe Biden's running eight or nine points ahead in Michigan, he's running four or five. Joe Biden's going to kind of you know, drag him across the, the, the um, you know, the goal line yeah. possibly, which really, I mean, shouldn't be the case in this year with an incumbent senator. So there's some there's some problems that somebody's got to look at if he's going to try to serve another term and run in 2026 before then. Um, or maybe John James is just able to do better than the generic Republican uh, for whatever reason. And once again, this did not help him in any manner. Well, um, yeah. Thanks again for Kevin Ross coming on the show. And then next week, um, I, I believe we have Evan Scrimshaw of uh, Lean Toss-Up to come on and talk about his uh, model uh, next week, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but until then, been the Cuts, Good night, Good night guys. Everybody. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first 